Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Tuesday, January 10th. I'm Nyla Budi. Today, the effort to restore order in Brazil and what the attack on the capital signals to the world. But first, why there's still not enough children's Tylenol. That's today's one big thing. Many parents around the U.S. still can't find children's Tylenol and Motrin after a shortage began weeks ago, right in the middle of this triple-demic of flu, RSV, and COVID. Some of you have been telling us how hard this has been. My name is Adam from Weaverville, which is just north of Asheville in North Carolina. I was fortunate enough to be walking through Target and found their last children's Tylenol. Sheer luck. But yeah, it's been tricky over the last few months. My name is Sarah, and I'm in Greenville, South Carolina. My six-year-old had an emergency apodectomy in early December. Uh, We were supposed to use Tylenol as pain management when we got home for him to recover and could not find any. My husband scoured multiple uh, pharmacies, including um, Walmart even, and could not find any at all. Hi, this is Sherry from California. I'm a nurse practitioner, and when I heard about the Tylenol shortage, I became very concerned because children's Tylenol is one that most parents are very familiar with. They know how to dose it. Fear, too, is that they may grab something else over the counter that has Tylenol or acetaminophen in it that their child, based on their age, should really not be taking because of the shortage. Axios' healthcare editor, Tina Reed, has the story. Tina, how did this happen? The short answer is this has just been a really awful respiratory virus season. It's not just that it's hit really hard, but it hit really early this year. And so that actually started creating a ripple effect throughout the U.S. in terms of getting some of these medications that we commonly would use. The sales were up 65% in November 2022 over the same month in 2021. We don't have December numbers yet, but we're expecting they'll probably be very similar At the same time, these companies have really upped their production levels for these products. They're up 35% to 50% higher than they were this time a year ago, and they simply just can't keep up. I was texting with Axios Today listeners about this yesterday and hearing from people all over the country. And the common theme was parents saying they have to drive very far away or call, spend hours on the phone trying to find a place that has the medication. What happens to the families that can't do that? The one thing I heard over and over again was that doctors really feel for parents and they really just suggested not forgetting the basics when it comes to helping their kids feel better, helping them fight their fevers, that it's not necessarily required that they get Motrin or Tylenol as much as it is helpful. And so they suggested using cold compresses, uh, lowering the temperature of the room, in general, keeping your kid well hydrated throughout the day. So the bottom line is really, while it's really tough being a parent, not being able to make your kids feel better with these medications, if they can't get them, pediatricians remind us that the vast majority of kids really will be fine without them. Is there any end in sight at this point? Unfortunately, we don't see an end in sight for this particular shortage. There are some alternatives that experts recommend. They suggest casting a wide net in the affected areas, including big box stores, wholesalers, discount chains, places where people might not typically look outside of their typical pharmacies. They're also saying that 
people should look to alternatives to the popular liquid versions of fever reducers. So for instance, older children might be able to take the chewable form. And in fact, if they do, that might be helpful to make that liquid form available to the younger kids. One other thing I heard was that parents may consider consulting their family doctor or their pediatrician about whether there's a safe and appropriate dose of an adult formula for their child, but they stressed that parents should absolutely not wing it when it comes to this. They should get medical consultation if they're going to try this. Axios's healthcare editor, Tina Reed. Thanks, Tina. Thank you, Nyla. In a moment, the turmoil in Brazil continues. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boudou. Brazilian police detained about 1,200 people yesterday after thousands of supporters of former President Jair Bolsonaro stormed Congress and other government buildings over the weekend. The attack had striking similarities to January 6th here in the U.S. Axios' Dave Lawler is here to talk about the far-right rioters in Brazil. Hi, Dave. Hi, Nyla. So, Dave, it's been two days since the attack and authorities have detained people and cleared roadblocks. What do we know so far? So basically, they're trying to restore order. There had been this kind of rumbling on of protests after Lula defeated Bolsonaro in the elections in October. A lot of Bolsonaro's supporters did not accept that result. In fact, Bolsonaro himself did not accept that result. Although the transfer of power did happen on January 1st, Lula is president now. That's one big difference between January 6th in the U.S. and January 8th in Brazil, because it actually happened after the transfer of power. But what we know basically is that 40-some busloads of people arrived in the capital, Brasilia, on Sunday. They joined up with protesters that were already in the capital, and they seemed to have very little trouble marching on these government buildings, eventually breaking into them. President Lula has declared federal control over the city at this point, and there has been quite a significant response, forceful response, clearing out these protest camps, breaking up roadblocks, as you mentioned. Dave, what do we need to know about these protest camps? Yeah, so basically there have been pro-Bolsonaro protesters camping outside of military barracks, not just in the capital, actually around the country. This started before the handover of power. They wanted the military to rise up and prevent the handover of power. And since then, there's been an effort to sort of sow enough chaos that the military will have a justification to step in and say, okay, you know, we need to take charge, either restore Bolsonaro to power or get rid of Lula. We should say that is very unlikely to happen. As you are saying all of this, Dave, there are obvious parallels between Brazil and us and our January 6th. Are there other links that we need to know about between the two? Sure. And it's funny, it it does feel like Bolsonaro has had an extra two years to sort of 
think about this. I was talking to a journalist in Brazil who said he may have learned from Trump's comeuppance to a certain degree in that he was not visibly egging on his supporters to do this sort of thing. He kept his distance. He's in Florida. But yes, there are links. And I do. I sometimes think these comparisons between Trump and name another politician can be lazy and a little bit you know, uh, they're, they're sort of trivializing things. In the Brazilian context, Bolsonaro has embraced the comparison to Trump. He is quite a Trumpian character. And this was an event uh, that was indeed quite similar to what we saw egged on by Donald Trump in Washington a couple of years ago. Dave, it was interesting for me to read yesterday that there hasn't been such a significant attack on Brazilian democracy since, I believe, the 1960s. What does all of this say about the state of democracy across the world? So in, in the Brazilian context, there's two sides to this, right? In, in the one sense, Brazil's institutions held, right? They did have a transfer of power in Brazil. The Supreme Court, which is quite a, a polarizing institution in Brazil and has come under a lot of scrutiny, is uh, taking action in this case. It is investigating what has gone on from the pro-Bolsonaro movement and Congress for now has come together. More or less, congressional leaders have come out and denounced this. So for now, the institutions have held in Brazil, although obviously the, the buildings themselves did not hold, right? But the, the the people behind them have held together. I think it also shows how fragile this can all be, right? Brazil is a country, you know, it has had its political turmoil, certainly since the restoration of democracy in the 1980s. But as you mentioned, this is the first event on this scale that we've seen in decades in Brazil, it, it shows obviously that the capability to mobilize quite radical supporters into an action like this is not isolated to one country. It can happen in multiple democracies. Certainly, there will be leaders around the world and populations around the world that will look at this uh, and think perhaps it could happen in their country too. Axios' world editor, Dave Lawler. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Nala. That's it for us today. You can always reach our team by emailing podcasts at axios.com, or you can text me. The number is 202-918-4893. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.